please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. It's great to see you all this morning. Great morning to you. Happy Sunday. Our summer summer preaching series is entitled Red Letters, The Teachings of Jesus. If you're just joining us, in most Bibles, the teachings of Jesus are highlighted in red letters in the New Testament. And these red letters are the teachings of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read, And seeing the multitudes, speaking of Jesus... He went up a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. At the very end of his teaching, and this teaching is known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew provides us with an observation that is central to our summer series. In Matthew chapter 7, Verses 28 and 29, Matthew shares with his readers how the people were astonished at his teaching, at Jesus' teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, Jesus' audience could not help but notice that he taught with authority, an authority that was missing in the other teachers in his day, who often quoted other teachers. The scribes were teachers of the Old Testament law. They taught the people what was written by Moses and the prophets. They spoke by authority. They rested on traditions of what they, um, on what had been said before by other teachers. But Jesus spoke with authority as the God and Lord of Moses and the prophets. The scribes were interpreters of the law, but Christ is the lawgiver sent from heaven. And they were astonished. The crowds were astonished by his teaching. There was a certainty, a power, a weight about his teaching. And several times during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said... But I tell you, but I tell you, he spoke as author, not interpreter or teacher. He is God incarnate, the very word of God made flesh. He taught with authority like no other because he is that authority. The Bible reveals Jesus' authority I shared last week over creation, angels, demons, nature, sickness, death, and the church. And the same authority that empowered Jesus' teachings then empowers Jesus' teaching now. I am convinced our lives, our marriages, our families, and our eternal destiny can be changed by the greatest teacher in teaching the world has ever known. But this change will not occur in the hearing and knowing only, but in the hearing and doing. The hearing and doing. We can be astonished. We can be amazed by his teachings. But being amazed, church, is not enough. His teachings must be applied. We must lay hold of his teachings and and, and make them our own, integrating them into everyday life. Amen, church? They're timeless and they're life-changing. Gracious Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says... Amen. And I see Jim and Linda Cusey, and I believe yesterday you celebrated 50 years of marriage. Congratulations. 50 years. Wow. Awesome. That's cool. Matthew, or we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. In Mark's gospel, he starts with the launch of Jesus' formal ministry. Unlike the gospels of Matthew and Luke, who begin with the birth narrative of Jesus, Mark opens his letter in chapter um, 1, verse 1, with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
The word beginning can refer to the start of something. Mark is telling us that Jesus is about to begin something, much like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Today, I would like to work our way through Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, the parable of the sower. Follow along as I read um, today's text, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I need glasses. I think we need to invest in a pair for Pastor Bob as well. We're getting older, brother. Mark chapter 4, verse 1, reading down through verse 20. And again, he began to teach by the sea, speaking of Jesus, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some, fell, some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And then he begins to quote from the book of Isaiah, written some 700 years prior. So that seeing that they may see and not perceive, and hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And there's about 35 of them. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves, no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, the word's sake, the word of God's sake, the teachings of Jesus' sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in. Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. There are three distinct parts to this passage in Mark chapter 4. In verses 1 through 9, we have the parable itself. In verses 13 through 20, Jesus explains the parable to us. But in between the parable and its interpretation, Jesus is, is asked by his disciples why he speaks in parables. And so in verses 10 through 12, he tells us why. Parables are little stories about big truths pertaining to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And parables reveal truths about God's kingdom and conceals truth about God's kingdom. And Jesus said, if someone is open and truly desires to understand, they will understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. But if someone is closed and hearted, they will hear and not understand. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 the Apostle Paul, he penned these words, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. The parable in today's main text reveals two key thoughts, that God's word is sufficient for spiritual growth. God's word is sufficient for spiritual growth, but that the effectiveness of God's word depends upon the condition of the heart of the hearer. The first truth we must grasp here is this. 
The seed that is sown is the word of God. The seed is defined in verse 14 of our text. The sower sows the word, the word of God. What exactly are we talking about when we speak of the word or the word of God? This is an extremely important question because many religions claim to have the word of God. Is the Book of Mormon the word of God? Is the Quran the word of God? The writer of Hebrews, the New Testament book Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews begins his amazing letter by saying in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the following. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. God is a talking God. The one we have been worshiping today, God Almighty, is a talking God. He didn't have to tell us anything. He could have remained silent. But the writer of Hebrews says that God has spoken. And to be specific, he has spoken twice during two unique periods of time. First, during one period in the past, God spoke through the prophets. The writer has in mind the Hebrew prophets like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel and Malachi, just to name a few. He spoke to them in a number of different ways, spanning at least a thousand years. And the collection of the writings of those prophets is what we call the Old Testament. But God spoke a second time during a period the writer of Hebrews calls these last days. And during this second period, God chose to speak by his son, Jesus Christ. The record of what Jesus said and did is, of course, found in the apostolic teachings of the New Testament scripture. And the author of Hebrews urges us to pay special attention to what God is saying through the apostles. Through the teachings of Jesus Christ, the red letters, the teachings of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, the author of Hebrews, he, he writes, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also is bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In other words, God went to great lengths to give us his word and then to validate it so there would be no question but that God was speaking. God was speaking and continues to speak to us through his son, the red letters, the teachings of Jesus. And so God has spoken twice, once to give the Old Testament, a second time to give us the New Testament. The Hebrew writer goes on to tell us what we have in the word of God in chapter four of Hebrews, verses 12 and 13. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. No one, you, me, no one, no creature hidden from his sight. He sees everything. When you think no one sees, God sees. Nothing is hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is the Bible itself. There is no other book that is God's word. And there is no other book that can accomplish what the Bible can. We have everything we need in this book. Amen? Everything. To know God, to, to live 
a meaningful and fulfilling and fruitful life is found in the Bible, God's Word. The Bible contains God's Word. The Bible contains the red letters, the teachings of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, I have tremendous confidence when I preach. Tremendous confidence when I preach. Not because I personally have anything special to offer you, but because I am convinced that the Word of God does. It is sufficient. The Word of God is the seed being sown in today's parable. And there are two simple realities that arise from the parable of the sower. Number one, the content of God's Word remains the same. Regardless of the hearer, in the parable, the same seed is sown on each kind of soil. Today, we can genetically alter seeds to accommodate all different kinds of environments, but that is not true in Jesus' day. The seed didn't change, and likewise, God's Word doesn't change. God's Word is true. It's been true. It is true today, and it will be true tomorrow. Can I hear a big amen? The second reality arises is the potential, number two, the potential of God's word is the same. Regardless of the hearer, a kernel of corn within it um, has all the genetic material to produce a corn plant. Whether the seed falls on the path or the rock or the thorns or, or the good soil, each seed, each kernel has the potent, potential to germinate and multiply. You see, God's Word has the same potential to bear spiritual fruit. It is capable of producing spiritual growth in each and every listener. And that's what gives me hope and confidence to preach every Sunday. The potential for life change in each individual, each marriage, each family is enormous because God has something to say, something special to give us in and through His Word. Do you believe that, church? The question must be asked, why, do, why don't we see more life change? Why do so many people sit in church week after week and month after month and year after year without any signs of spiritual growth? God's word has all this potential. Why don't we see more life change and spiritual growth. Well, in some cases, it could be that the sower, in this case, the preacher, is simply failing to spread the seed. He may be spreading his own ideas. He may be more interested in entertaining, wowing his audience. And so he waters down the truth, or he subtracts from it, or he adds to it, and that's a dangerous thing to do. God has something to say about that in the book of Revelation. <laughs> but this parable assumes that the sower is doing his job and, and still the results are not the same. The parable of the sower reveals that the effectiveness of God's word depends on the heart of the hearer. Sufficiency of, script, of Scripture is one thing, but efficiency is something else. If the Word is planted in hearts that are not prepared and responsive, nothing will happen. It's not the, world, the Word's fault. It's the listener's fault. The soils in our story are representative of four kinds of people, each of whom has a different kind of heart. The first is what we might call the unresponsive heart. Verse 4, Jesus said, And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Verse 15 says, And these are the ones by the, way, by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes and immediately takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. This person may be the materialistic person, the, the humanistic person, the atheistic person. He hears something about God's truth but doesn't want to be bothered, and so he shrugs it off. And Jesus says Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in his 
hearts. The wayside was trampled on by feet and by hoofs. It was a hard place. The seed would not take root. The birds of the air would come. And maybe this speaks of the individual who has been walked on, walked over, and is cynical. And because he's cynical, because he has been walked over and walked on, he has a hard heart towards the things of God. Jesus attributes at least part of the reason for this person's lack of spiritual growth to the work of the devil. His indifference and hardness to the gospel, to God's word, gives Satan an invitation to come and snatch away the seed of truth that was sown. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, the devil, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 1 Peter 5, 8 reminds us, tells us, Says your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, the devil, Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Mm -hmm. You give him place. You give him invitation. You open the door. And he will gladly take advantage. Mm -hmm. The second person is what we might call the impulsive heart. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verses 16 and 17 say, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endures only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. And Jesus said, when they hear the word, immediately receive it, with gladness. This person is often driven largely by emotion and experience, but the enthusiasm doesn't translate into real life change, real life transformation. Jesus said there was no depth, no depth. This person is not rooted in Jesus Christ. They don't get into serious Bible study. They don't develop a, a regular prayer life. They don't become accountable to anyone in the faith. They don't apply the teachings of Jesus. They love being wowed in the worship service, but do not worship. They offer lip service. Emotions, hear this church, emotions and enthusiasm will only take you so far. Something that has happened in the last couple of years in some of the mega churches is spontaneous water baptisms during a church service where hundreds and hundreds are baptized right on the spot. Now, that's wonderful if the Spirit of God is at work and, and, and bringing home and alive the gospel of Jesus Christ and people are repenting and turning from their sin to Jesus and want to follow the Lord in water baptism, hey, I'm all for it, and I want to celebrate that. You know, but as pastors, as shepherds, we must be careful that we don't generate and stir up emotional enthusiasm that produces shallow confessions of faith. We don't want to encourage people to respond Respond strictly based on an emotional and enthusiastic experience. Wow, this is cool. I'm diving in. No. We want people to respond to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit through Christ-centered preaching, to the call to repent from sin and be baptized. You see, Jesus said that when times of testing, when times of testing... Put the impulsive heart's faith on trial. 
When trouble and persecution comes because of the word of God, the teachings of Jesus, he quickly falls away. Notice what Jesus said in verse 17. When tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, the word of God's sake, the teachings of Jesus' sake, immediately they stumble. Now notice, not if, but when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, for the word of God's sake, for the teachings of Jesus' sake. A family member, let's just think about this for a moment. A family member or a friend attacks you because you believe what the Bible teaches on what constitutes a marriage relationship. Marriage is between one woman and and one man. According to God's word. And according to God's word, the practice of homosexuality is sin. According to God's word. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, he writes in, in his first letter in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicator or idolater, nor adulterer, nor homosexual, and he goes on, will inherit the kingdom of God. If you stay true to God's word, you can be sure that trouble and persecution will arise. And Jesus said it would. But if your relationship with Jesus is built only on emotions and enthusiasm, and look, emotions and, enthousi- and, and being enthusiastic about our faith is a part of our experience. But if it starts there and, and ends there, If your relationship with Jesus is built only on emotions and enthusiasm, if there's no spiritual death, chances are when the heat gets turned up in the kitchen, when you're persecuted for the word's sake, you might find yourself just like this person in today's parable. Immediately they stumble. They fall away. This is a big concern of mine today. A very big concern of mine. I find myself often very burdened by this reality. The church is not in the entertainment business, but in the business of eternity. What kind of church services are we offering? The kind that moves people emotionally and stirs up enthusiasm? Or the kind that causes people to draw near to Jesus? The kind that creates a hunger for more of the word of God. The kind that builds a depth in our faith and relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The kind of service where God's truth is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit runs deep. You see, the only sure foundation is the rock-solid teachings of Jesus Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 and 5, In my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's my prayer when we gather here on Sundays, whenever we gather. The impulsive heart is a shallow heart. No spiritual depth. No roots. The first storm that comes and immediately they stumble. They fall away. Why? Because they didn't sign up for tribulation. They didn't sign up for persecution for the word's sake. That's not what they signed up for. They just want to be, wow, they don't want the benefits. They want the benefits that come with hanging out with Jesus. Think about this. They want the benefits that come with hanging out with Jesus without any personal cost. They didn't sign up for trouble and persecution for the word's sake. And Jesus said in his sermon on the mountain, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven 
as we truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ and are governed by the word of God and shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's not if, it's when trouble and persecution comes. But on Christ, the solid rock I stand. The rock-solid teachings of Jesus Christ. And so when the winds come, the rain falls, we remain standing. Amen? Because we are built on the rock-solid teachings of Jesus Christ. The third person is what we might call the preoccupied heart. Verse, verse 7 um, Jesus said in verse 7, And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crops. Verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Notice. Jesus doesn't seem to be warning about evil things so much as he is warning about distracting things. Distracting things that are not evil things can often be ignored because they're not evil. But distracting things can actually be more dangerous than evil things because we don't take notice how the distracting things are affecting us. Jesus points out three areas that choke the word, that strangle our faith and leaves us spiritually unfruitful. The cares, the worries of this world. We're no stranger to cares and worries, are we, church? I know this preacher isn't. The deceitfulness of riches. Money is a liar. I'll make you happy, money says. I'll make you secure, money says. I will make you worry-free, money says. I will make you satisfied, money says. How many would agree with me today? Money is a liar. The third area Jesus points out is the desire of wanting other things more than God. It's a lordship issue. It's a lordship issue. We want his grace and, and the salvation that, that is provided in his grace, but we don't want his lordship. Again, we want benefits without cost. And there's a dying of self. There's a surrendering, laying self at the, at the, at the, at the cross, at the throne of our Savior, our King, our Lord, our Master, our everything. The heart with thorns is a crowded heart. There's too many things competing. I think that speaks a lot to so many in the church today. Weeds have overtaken the heart. There's so many opportunities. I think about this Often, there's, there's so many opportunities today that are available to us. I think about kids today and all the different opportunities that are available um, for kids today that weren't available for even my kids. They definitely weren't available for me. And some of you old folk, <laughs> just kidding. I'm in that camp. I hear myself talking more and more. Back in my day, there's so much. Hey, it's a blessing. Mom and dad, you want to give your kids. You want to give your kids experiences. You want to you bless them. You want them to, you know, be involved with different things. And, and that's good. But don't be deceived. Be careful. There's so much competing interest. And today we have our kids, and as families, we're involved in so many different things. We're just exhausted. We're worn out. We're tired. 
We're spent. And if we're honest with ourselves, God is a passing thought when we're in trouble. God, I need you. I don't share that to put anyone down. I share it because I love you. Don't be deceived. Weeds have overtaken the heart. And so what happens? The source for satisfaction and security comes from external things. The thorns, riches and pleasures and and activities. Everything that the world has to offer. And the word of God no longer satisfies you. The word of God no longer is the source that meets your every need. You look to the things of the world and you wake up one day and you wonder, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen? These things choke us from depending on God. And before long, we lose our way and we're just so far from God, the things of God, the people of God. The fourth person is what we might call the responsive heart. Verse 8, Jesus said, But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred, Jesus says in verse 20. This person is different from the other three in two important ways. First, he has an undivided heart. He hears God's word. He accepts his word, meaning that he builds and governs his life by God's word. On God's word. On the rock-solid teachings of Jesus Christ. He not only hears, but he does it applies it, lives it. He seeks to integrate God's word into his life, whatever the cost, whatever the cost. Last weekend, our kids were at Seabreeze and they asked if they could use our van and they brought a a van full to Seabreeze and and they came home from Seabreeze later that day and I was out on my deck enjoying a peaceful night and And I come to find out that the back end of our van got hit. Someone in the parking lot smashed it and damaged it. But someone left their contact information. Wow. And so the next day we called... And they shared that they had already submitted a claim, that it was their fault. They were so sorry. My wife was talking to this woman, and she said, no, thank you so much. We sat down with our kids that night. You provided us a a wonderful teaching opportunity. And we, we shared with our kids eternal truth, that this is what Jesus This is the right thing. This is what Jesus would want you to do. If you ever do this, if you ever hit a car and the person's not in the car, this is what the Lord would want you to do. You integrate God's truth, the teachings of Jesus all throughout life and come to find out the woman's a born-again Christian. Goes to Calvary Chapel on the west side. Shout out to our friends, to our brothers and sisters in Spencerport. Isn't that glorious, church? He seeks to integrate God's word into life, whatever the cost. And second, this person is different in regard to the results. God's word reaches a fruitful end in the person of the responsive heart. Life change occurs. Spiritual growth is happening. There's a depth to this person's faith that is not easily shaken. And Jesus is saying that there is an unbelievable return. Just so that we're clear, a good return on your crops back then would be 5 to 15 fold. 
really tenfold would be considered great. I mean, that's just tenfold. That's incredible. That's awesome. And so when Jesus tells the story about 30, 60, 100 fold return, it's unbelievable to those who are listening. There's a connection being made. Church, it's important that we're tracking uh, what Jesus is saying here in this parable. He's saying unbelievable things happen when the seed, God's word, is sown on good soil. Things only God can do when his word is trusted, it applied, will happen. Will happen in your life. Will happen in your marriage will happen in your family. I believe it. Amen? Will happen, most importantly, in your spiritual life. You will grow. 30, 60, 100 fold, you will grow spiritually into a fruit producing machine for the glory of almighty God. I want to be a fruit producing follower of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen. I want people to be introduced to Jesus Christ as I enter their life and as they enter my life. That there's such presence of Jesus and such depth of Jesus in me that it just oozes just naturally. We've been called to be light, to be salt. Jesus is sowing. And he's sowing on all different soils because he desires that none would perish and all would come to repentance. But we too are called to sow. In fact, Paul right into the church in Corinth, he says, some sow, some plant, and some water. But God brings the increase. Amen, church? God brings the increase. This soil, this good soil, there's been true repentance cultivation of the heart by the word of God, true repentance. This person hears the word, honors the word, and applies the word. The word permeates the whole person, his relationships, his work, his activities. His whole life is governed by the word. I have a question as I close here this morning. What kind of heart do you have? Unresponsive? Impulsive? Preoccupied, responsive. And now the parable ends in verse 9. Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a repeated saying of Jesus. This saying seems to underscore something incredibly important. It's as if Jesus is saying, attention now. This is serious. This is serious. Church, the teachings of Jesus are serious. They deal with the kingdom of God. They deal with eternity. Where one will spend eternity. Would you agree that's serious business? That's serious stuff. Eternity is serious stuff. The church is not in the entertainment business. It's in the eternity business. Amen? The business of eternity. Jesus' teachings, I've been reading through his teachings now for quite some time. And I'm going to be honest with you. Most of his teachings don't end past the Bob giving you the warm fuzzies. They don't. And we love to be entertained in our preaching today. Not you. But some do. We 
want to feel those warm fuzzies. But as I've been reading through the teachings of Jesus, I've not felt those warm fuzzies. I have sensed deep conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Understand, church, the warm fuzzies aren't going to change you. The warm fuzzies are not going to save your soul. The warm fuzzies are not going to turn that wayward heart away from their sin back to Almighty God. The warm fuzzies aren't going to bring healing and restoration to a marriage that is broken, that is dying, that needs to be resurrected. Oh, he who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. It's serious stuff. Pastor, this is vacation time. What are you doing to us? This is heavy to be preaching in the month of July. Satan doesn't go on vacation. Right now, he's roaming. He's looking, who can I devour? You know, I'm just going to be honest and I'm taking a few extra minutes because I really sense the deep prompting of the Holy Spirit of God. All week long, my heart has been deeply, deeply burdened. And I'm going to be candid. And I think those of you who have been around me a long time, I'll be candid when I know the Spirit of God is prompting. But he has put people on my heart all week long in this body of believers who are away from God. And my heart has been so heavy because the reality of the deception of the evil one has gripped their hearts. They have been deceived by Satan. They have been drawn away by Satan, sifted by the devil. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, I understand this kind of preaching doesn't build the modern church in America, but I'm confident that this kind of preaching adds people to the kingdom of Almighty God. Would you join me standing today? I'm not going to call anyone by name, but I want you to know I've been calling your name all week long before the throne room of Almighty God in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, young people, young people, please hear. Please hear. Young people, please hear. Hear. Here I pray in Jesus' name, Spirit of the living God, break their hearts, remove the clutter, open their deaf ears that they would hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. Your eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. Pastor Bob prayed this morning that God would get what he paid for on the cross through the death of his son. He paid for your soul on the cross. Young person, to the very back of this sanctuary, here, 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 what the Spirit of the Lord says. The devil offers you nothing, nothing good. All he offers you is pain, hopelessness, confusion, destruction. Oh, hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. As the team leads us in worship, I'm going to open these altars for a few moments before we close. I trust and pray oh, that you hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. He loves us so much that, he, that He's taken this time to speak to us. To speak to us.
There are some of you young, some of you even older. Some of you who are older. You're not following Jesus. You're not walking with Jesus. You're in rebellion. You know, you've been counseled the word of truth, the word of life for your situation, but you continue to remain in rebellion. You refuse to apply. You refuse to humble yourself and apply God's truth, God's redeeming truth to your life, to your marriage, to your family. Understand, you are in rebellion. You are in disobedience. You've sat under the counsel of God's word multiple times for the same thing and you refuse to apply the word of God, the teachings of Jesus. The Bible calls this rebellion, disobedience and nothing good comes from rebellion or disobedience. God's will cannot be fulfilled. God's will cannot happen when one disobeys when one rebels against the truth of Almighty God. But there is a will that gets fulfilled and it's the will of Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's looking. He's looking to devour. He's looking to devour. Hmm. Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do, Spirit of the living God. Reach deep into the hearts, into the souls of men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, spirit of the living God, spirit of the living God, spirit of the living God. If you'd like to come to the altar, feel free. I'm not going to beg. There's no pressure. But if the spirit of God is speaking, respond. You can respond right where you're standing, right where you're sitting. If you want to come to the front, you can. You want someone to pray for you and with you? We'd be more than happy to.